Today on this episode of Going Deeper, we are talking about Paul's letters to the leaders of the New Testament churches and what he has to say about the organizational structure that we maybe still follow a little bit today. I'm your host, Kyle McCaskill. I'm Haley Kesterson. I'm Doug DeGraffenreid. So join us as we go deeper. So over the past couple of weeks, we have talked at length about Paul. Uh, first, kind of, and in your readings, you have read about Paul's travels and also his letters to the churches. This week, we've got Paul to the leaders. And, you know, we start off in Timothy. And this, uh, specifically Timothy, First and Second Timothy, have some... Racy Racy comments. Well, they've they've definitely got some challenging comments for us in modern America. And I I know that Haley has some gotcha questions for Doug. Can I leave now? (laughs) (laughs) Can can we push pause and let me sneak out? No. You're in it. Uh Because I got questions and I need answers. She's got questions and she needs answers. Just call you Radio Shack, huh? (laughs) <laughs> they went bankrupt. You don't see them anymore, do you? I know, right? We could be in trouble. <laughs> well, I'll be happy to kind of start off with what we talked about, Paul, and that he's hard to understand. Peter himself says that. And he says some things that we don't always understand because we weren't in the time and context of people mm-hmm. he was writing to. Mm-hmm. And I remember in one of the past podcast we talked about if you read something and it doesn't sit right with you that there's probably a reason for that Uh and you should study and dig deeper into what that means and so we see in first and second timothy that paul is toward the end of his ministry and in the second letter at the end of his life i mean he's about to he's not gonna um live through this roman persecution and he's giving these kind of last words of wisdom and advice to his protege, Timothy. And Timothy is in the church in Ephesus, and so he's writing him to tell him some good rules and policies for the church. And we did talk about how Paul is kind of dismissed in the academic world sometimes mm-hmm. because he can he's just a very strong leader, and sometimes he's very intense, and so he can kind of be seen as one of these leaders that is misogynistic or too controlling in the church. And there's this famous thing going on right now called church deconstruction, and you're like deconstructing your faith if you've been hurt by the church. And specifically for those who have been hurt by the church, Paul gets a bad rap because people think that he is the one that kind of teaches some of these negative negative thoughts about the church and church leadership. But the truth is, is that when you really read Paul, and any scholar who, who really reads Paul knows that that's actually the quite opposite of mm-hmm. what Paul is saying. He doesn't give a bunch of power to one church leader. He says, no, there should be many people holding each other accountable for the way we're treating those within our church. 
And the first place he kind of does that is 1 Timothy chapter 3. And he talks about overseers and elders and deacons and how they should all be in place within the church to hold one another accountable. So, Pastor Doug, mm-hmm. tell us about church leadership. What does Paul say that should look like? You you uh, skip Second Timothy or First Timothy two, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> um, well, okay, actually, I'll well, just go. Well, ahead. that one isn't no, in no, our no, reading. No, 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 yeah, yeah, let's just move right on. Um, well, the, I do think you should touch on it. We've touched on it before in previous podcasts, but give us. I'll read it again, and you give us the. Uh, the overview of what is being talked about here. In chapter 2, verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And again, we have touched on this in a previous podcast, so just a brief overview. And you also skip the part that they're not to have their hair braided with gold and pearls and expensive clothing, but with good works. Right. Proper for a woman to profess reverence for God. Um, Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. In both Ephesus and Corinth, there are temples to Aphrodite, and um, it involves uh, the use of temple prostitutes. So the women, particularly in those two communities, tended to be brash, loud, um, dressed for... uh, their profession and and the way you went and experienced worship. So Paul, in both places, wants to make sure that the Christian movement is not associated with this worship of Aphrodite, and in both places, asks the women very specifically to tone it down. Um, and it's not that he is misogynistic; it is just he doesn't want there to be confusion. It's like the Christians ask not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if if I see a ribeye up there that's been burned and it's burned medium well or, or medium rare, I'm going to go for the ribeye. But <clears throat> that could offend someone. And so Paul's very careful that as we act out or as we live our lives in Christ, we don't do anything that uh, offends or anything that confuses people. When he talks about deacons and elders in the third chapter, we sort of lost this concept because a Roman household um, was more than mama, daddy, and a couple of kids. It was mama, daddy, a couple of kids, the farmhands, the the slaves, whether indentured or otherwise captured. There was a hierarchy to the household. Paul's writing to a church that's not an institutional church yet. It is simply a group of believers that, for the most part, are meeting in homes. Um, These are smaller groups or smaller clusters or cells. And what Paul is trying to do is um, keep order in those uh, smaller cells and make sure that the smaller cells are uh, taking care of one another and caring for each other. Um, and the elders and deacons are given specific duties and specific tasks. Um, you wonder if Paul ever imagined the church becoming what it is today, a multi-layered, complex, um, hierarchical structure that um, 
um, sometimes gets confused as to its purpose. It, it, it's with anybody out there in the real world. Um, business people can tell you that is uh, the further away you move from the actual locus of the business, the less you're aware of the realities of the business. And um, so I'm going to put that in church language. The further we've moved from the original church, we're becoming less aware of the problems of the institution. The problem. Uh, or the opportunities. Or, yeah, the good things about it. The good it. things. Yeah. Um, we were, well, we were cell groups. We were cell churches. And how did Wesley grow and establish the Methodist movement? Cell groups. Um, we call them covenant discipleships or accountability groups or Wesleyan groups. But we all started small and... and um, the small grows into the mega church. Mm -hmm. And when you've got a church that has, I don't know, 12 or 15,000 people in a sanctuary on Sunday morning, uh, there's some things that are great about that. I mean, corporate worship is just loud and yeehaw and yeah, but the, the smaller aspects, um, prayer together, bearing each other's burdens, um, sharing each other's joys. You wonder how that happens in such a large gathering. Right. Um, Can you imagine a, uh, now let's share our joys and concerns with 3,000 people. <laughs> we'd, we'd be there for, you yeah. know, three and a half hours. <laughs> we, would, we would be running around with microphones in the yeah. worship space doing that. And So I want to take this opportunity as we talk deeply about the scriptures that we challenge listeners, right? That's part of what we do is to challenge one another. And uh -huh. Francis Chan is really famous for this right now, a huge megachurch leader. And he woke up one day and said, man, people are coming to just listen to me preach, but we're not actually all sharing our gifts here. And so he, he made a, it was a big deal in the church community. He stepped away. He said, I want to get back to doing small church and, and what it looks like for everyone to bring their gifts to the body of believers. Mm -hmm. And so if you come to church on Sunday mornings, we are so happy you were there. Please mm -hmm. keep coming. Please keep worshiping with us. But the scriptures challenge us to get involved in small groups and live uh -huh. life and community together. And we have those available. Yeah. So go online, look them up, uh -huh. get involved in a small group, come teach with me at youth, and I'll love it. So <laughs> take that step if you haven't. Becky is loving everything that you're saying right now. <laughs> well, yes. I had a conversation the other day with one of our good church members who is here all the time and the topic of the conversation was wanting a deeper connection that you can't get in worship uh, wanting the intimacy with God wanting the uh, uh, fellowship and camaraderie of other people wanting the accountability that comes in these smaller groups um, Wesley's small groups began with the uh, um, question, basically, share any besetting sins you have. Well, can you imagine doing that in a group today? Uh, let's start by talking about your sin. All right. <laughs> Confess, everyone. Uh -huh. Well, <laughs> and it wasn't in, in terms of judgment. It was in terms of, of lifting each other up and holding each other accountable. And when you realize that... Um, People are struggling with issues that um, 
Marie and I participate in drug court, um, and we're seeing some really cool fruits growing out of that. And you know, we're we're praying for people who have struggles with addiction and watching them fight through that challenge. You wonder how many people during this pandemic became addicted to Amazon. Oh man. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they, they've gotten themselves where they've got to see that box showing up. And, and you, you wonder how many um, folks have, have lost connection with spouses and children because of the isolation. So Paul organizes the church like a Roman household with overseers. Uh, the, the Greek word is episkopoi. It's the word we use for bishop sometimes Hmm. translated elder um, and deacons. So there is order to what Paul says the church ought to be, but we must realize that um, he is talking about a specific dynamic of church, a house church, a small cell group. And churches have attempted to use with various levels of success these qualifications of bishop and deacon to uh, order the life of the church. In the Methodist church, we have bishops, and a bishop is an elder that is um, set apart for that office. In the, the Methodist church, a bishop is an administrative office, not a spiritual office. In other churches, the bishop is more like a spiritual office. And I'm an elder in the Methodist Church. It means I have certain responsibilities. It doesn't mean I have any power over deacons or power over laity. It just means I'm called to certain responsibilities. Okay, so does Paul, or anywhere else in the Bible, say that certain leaders should have certain power over other leaders? And the reason I ask that is because that's what I feel is the major church controversy right now is people saying, well, these leaders have been given too much power and they've done abuse or whatever else in the church. And that's why there's all this church trauma. So the church overall is horrible. And that's just not the case. Well, Paul right here does not talk about any relationship between bishops and deacons administratively or in terms of a power dynamic. They're just basically given certain tasks within the church. Um, You go back to the book of Acts where deacons are established and what the apostles said is, um, you know, you've got the, the widows and the orphans and they need care. We need to take care of them. But God's called us to pray and to study the Word. Um, And we're going to be faithful to what God's called us to do, pray and study the Word. We're going to send these other people out with our blessings and our anointing to do this other ministry. Um, Some of the, the human dynamics that have created these power dynamics in the church are just that they're human right they were not ordained of god but they were used the the structure of the roman catholic church sorry roman catholics uh basically comes from uh the roman military structure because you have roman armies growing up around these new christians and these new christians are trying to figure out how to organize their new movement so they look to the roman armies and go 
well, this is a good idea. And and as it started out and as the church was in its charismatic phase where we were all filled with the Spirit and moving in the direction God wanted us to go, uh, these administrative structures worked. But as the church, you know, sort of loses some of its fire, people start hanging on to power, and then they abuse power. And that's what you see today is... What happens when human beings, um, rather than seeing themselves as servants of God, see themselves as anointed of God? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> dangerous. If you got the anointing, man, you can do anything you want to do because if anybody questions it, well, who are you to question the anointing Ooh. of God? So uh, I'm a Jesus follower. That's who I am to question and, you. And, and I'm laying you know? some questions on you right now, yeah. Bubba. Well, I, I have a question, though, because you're Uh-oh. talking about hierarchy mm-hmm. and <clears throat> the way it kind of, you know, person, people, 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 mm-hmm. not a pyramid scheme. Uh, but can't we also trace some of that back to how Moses set up the delineation of caring for the people? Well, you want to go all the way back to Jethro, his father-in-law, who says, Moses, you can't keep doing all this yourself. You need an organizational structure. Yeah, yeah. you need an yeah. organizational uh-huh. structure. You know, one of the things that the church has struggled with, um, and Trinity's a good example of it, is during COVID, we really haven't had our adult Sunday schools functioning. Some of them are kind of, they're doing a little hybrid, some Zoom, some not. We don't have basically all of our adult Sunday school classes in place. Well, how do we learn about things? Through Sunday school, Mm -hmm. through these smaller groups where people are aware of who's missing, of what's going on in their lives, and somebody will pick up the phone and call the church, or somebody will leave a note for us, and and, um, the way we collect Sunday school information, and say, did you know that John Smith has this challenge? Well, these smaller groups, um, as, as Moses would organize these smaller groups, um, accountability groups, disciple groups, Bible study, um, Sunday school classes do have the function of caring for each mm-hmm. other and do it very well. Um, yeah, really well. And, and that's why we're really praying for and, and craving Sunday school to come back. Yeah. So, the church has that connection again with that connection with the smaller groups with individuals. So, um, ordering things is a way of caring for people. Mm-hmm. And and so there is a word that has popped up numerous times today. Oh, that I think again we have to step outside of our modern worldview and disdain for things like this. But the word accountability. Mm-hmm. Okay. I imagine that just on surface level, when the average everyday American person hears the word accountability, they automatically have a negative view of that word. Mm. Okay. Because of how it has maybe been mispracticed in in the past 200 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we're talking about when we're talking about accountability is exactly like you hinted at it and you almost said it, but it's not to browbeat people because of their sin. 
it's to lift, to, people to lift up and one another. Yeah, yeah. to be able to encourage each mm-hmm. other, and that's the the real heart, I think, of this accountability structure that that we're seeing take shape here in, in this week's reading. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that we're we're here to to lift each other up, not wag our finger yeah. at people. No, there's exactly. there's no brow beating mm-hmm. um, and. We are held accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, every meaningful relationship you have, there is a level of accountability in the meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are covenants and codicils we we make uh, in the normal human transaction of living life, uh, in which we hold each other accountable. Right. And accountability is a way to care for each other. If if I got get on I twenty and you know, I decide, hey, I'm going to see if my car will do 110, and the car in front of me is only doing 55. You're going to be in trouble. I'm going to be in trouble. Well, As you should be. You know, as I should be. Yeah. But there's a level of social covenant that we will, uh, we will obey the laws and we will be held accountable to obedience to the law and i just threw another word out that's a dirty church word and that's the word obedience right you do not know and i should have kept track of this the couples that when they would start premarital counseling they would actually ask me the question do i have to promise to obey him in the wedding ceremony because the wedding vows used to say Mm -hmm. to love honor and obey Uh and the, the the word obey has not been in the Methodist wedding ritual since the 1840s. Let's put it back in. Well, <laughs> it always starts a very interesting conversation. It uh, it's like, okay, talk to me a little bit about obedience and, and what that means. And that's not, um, that's not like teaching your dog obedience that mm-hmm. that's living consistently to the promises you have made jesus said what if you love me you'll what obey, obey. me mm-hmm. and then he fleshes that out what does that mean well you'll keep the commandments you will if you claim to be a jesus follower you will be obedient and live as a jesus follower so We've got the word accountability and the word obedience, and and Paul is putting these structures in place to positively uh, direct the church in a way that it can grow, that it can mm-hmm. be Christ honoring, and so that it can take care of the people that it's called to take care of. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when you look at these structures, they allow the freedom for ministry. Yeah. You know, and they do, and and there are people that do this very well, and the story is different. If if obedience is expected upon someone that's not honoring the word of Christ, mm-hmm. if the obe- if this structure is being abused, obedience that's a different conversation. We yeah. are talking yeah. about a healthy church of uh-huh. true believers that love and care and serve one another. So I guess on that accountability topic, from what I'm hearing is that. There are ordained structural organizations which are good and healthy in the church without giving too much power to a single person. And that's not, it's not popular vote. It's not everyone's, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. That's not what Paul's saying. Yeah. He's saying specific spirit filled leaders. Mm-hmm. 
that we choose to put our trust in, but multiple of them, so they hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. And so the next thing that Paul really is pushing Timothy to speak against is those false teachers that may be teaching that which is wrong or may be abusing power or whatever it is. But my question is then about false teachers. Um, and and one point Paul says those leaders should be able to teach. And I think about this in the youth dynamic specifically, and I really pray and try hard to look for scripture to see how we should set up our structure, right? And so in our youth dynamic, I will do like a very small teaching as the youth minister, youth director every week. And then I give the leaders of the small groups other small teaching points to hit. And then these small groups are led by these Leaders in the Mm -hmm. church. I mean, there are people that have stepped up to serve and love on the youth. And whatever structure breakdown that is, at some point there were some teachers in, in the church that somehow got there. And then Paul's saying they're actually teaching things that are false. So... I'm not saying any of my leaders are doing that. By the way, I don't think we have any false teachers. I think everyone wants to be on board with the same teaching. But what I'm saying is, how do we recognize false teachers? And then how do we gracefully speak against that if we see it mm-hmm. as a Jesus follower? What's the New Testament test to know if a teacher is false or not? There's a specific test. Do you know what it is? What's well, the fruits of the Spirit? Well, you could yeah. argue it's the fruits of the Spirit, but it's actually a question. Did Christ, did Jesus come in the flesh? Oh, okay. Do you Parse have, that out. Do you have an incarnational theology? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the unique Son of God, that He is God in the flesh, and that... Um, he is a unique way to God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Our Christian faith centers around Jesus Christ and our beliefs about um, Jesus Christ. Paul is writing Timothy as the Gnostics had popped up. Mm-hmm. and um, Explain what a Gnostic is. A Gnostic is a person that uh, believes that <clears throat> you don't have to act in a certain way. You just have to have this special knowledge. And as long mm-hmm. as you have the special knowledge or gnosis, uh, you are just so cool. And uh, Gnosticism involved a certain form of antinomianism, which meant... Um, That's a big word. I know. Well, so smart. what it means is your heart, you're, you've given your heart to Jesus, your body can go out and do anything it wants to do because the flesh is evil anyway. So let me put this in youth terms. Okay. I can do what I want, when I want, with who I want. Pretty but much. But I love Jesus. That's what the Gnostics believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, A country didn't... preacher, I heard this, don't dip or chew or go with, with girls, girls who do, do, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so the Gnostics, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be remembering a different uh, one of the false teachings, but they hold to, or at least in this day, they held to the idea that Jesus didn't leave footprints when he walked around because well, he was only spirit. They they believed oh, several things about. They could not say that um, Jesus was God in the flesh because they believed that the spirit of God came upon Jesus at the baptism and left him at the cross. So Jesus really was this kind of weird. 
uh, wasn't really man, wasn't really God kind of thing. And their, their behavior derives out of what they believe about Jesus. Um, when you understand that the great God of all creation came down and was born to Mary and Joseph in that that manger stall in Bethlehem, um, he's earned an audience and he's learned obedience. He's earned obedience, and he he calls us to be the best us um, that he's created us to be, and. By virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection, um, I'm going to do all I can to obey him and to follow him. Even when his words are hard, mm. the Gnostics say, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. As long as you've got our secret, as long as you know the secret teaching we have that, by the way, we don't tell anybody else because we're a little secret society and we're a whole lot better than everybody else. But as long as you know the secret word, uh, you don't have to worry about all this other stuff because the flesh is evil. And no matter if you do good things in the evil flesh, it's still evil. Mm-hmm. My goodness. And they pretty much live that out. And... Um, the the Gnostics are the first heretics the church faces, and you also you see hints of it in Timothy. You see hints of it in places that Paul also wrote because they are starting to rear their heads. Mm-hmm. And um, so it gives me encouragement to know that there are a lot of oh I don't understand that. What does that mean in the scripture? Oh yeah, and that's okay. Uh-huh. But when we ask the people who lead, or if you are feeling called to step up and lead in your church, if you ask, what do I believe about Jesus? And within our church context, that has to be. I mean, if you want to lead in our church, that has to be that you believe Jesus is the Son of Man, fully God, fully man. Mm-hmm. And everything that happened on the cross um was for us to be reunited with God and experience Him and who He is. Then you're, even if you don't understand it all, mm-hmm. you're okay to lead a group of youth. Yeah? yeah, would you say that? I would say that we we only have one story in the church, and it's a simple story. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Mm-hmm. That's our story. That's mm-hmm. all we got. Mm-hmm. And if if you you don't believe all we got you're you're not building on a um, a good foundation and i would encourage people who struggle with some of those issues to find a small group and where you can be not not convinced but you can in a safe place express your doubts or ask your questions and that's the other thing unfortunately we don't do in the church Doubt is not the antithesis of faith. Doubt is part of faith. Absolutely. And, Amen. And doubt causes us to go deeper and struggle a little bit. And, you know, there are theological concepts. I've been at this now for uh, more years than I'm going to confess right now. And there's some things I don't get or I'm still working on. And it's God invites me into this conversation. So, um, anyway, and, and Paul is, you know, Paul's also, by the time we get to Timothy and Titus, 
the church is heading into its second generation. Some of the the people that started all this are starting to die off. They're being persecuted. The church is dealing with issues it hasn't had to deal with. There are heretics hanging around. So Timothy and Titus sound a little bit different than the other writings of Paul because it's a whole lot more practical. Um, Paul's telling Timothy, hang in there, Bubba. Mm -hmm. It's going to get tough, but hang in there. (laughs) Hang in there. And it is a good word. It is is inspiring. It reminds you that it's not about the controversial speculations, but about advancing God's work, that those Mm -hmm. all come up, those controversial topics, whatever it is, but overall advance God's work with love and a pure heart is what he says in chapter one, since being sincere to your faith. Um, So that's really encouraging. We want to study deeper, definitely. Please, especially if you're leading or teaching, study deeper and try Mm -hmm. to understand. But also keep the main point the main point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, So what's the main point? Well, (laughs) yeah. Sometimes you have to be specific. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus, by the way. It's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the main point. He's the main character from Genesis to Revelation. That's correct. Well, I want to go to why we've been doing E100, and it is over in Second Timothy, the uh, third chapter, the 16th verse. Mm-hmm. All Scripture... All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Um, the Bible's inspired. The Greek word means God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And uh, on Sunday nights recently, I've been doing a Bible study about the history of the Bible. And Kyle McCaskill and some others want me to record all the sessions so we can put no, it out there. No, it's not a want. It's a mandate. <laughs> oh, we will, we will record those sessions and put it out there because I think what, what we're going to see, Trinity, is we're going to start creating our own video library of mm-hmm. teaching. We so already have a few. We have a few. We're going to get some more. Yeah. Um, so the preacher's going to spend a lot of time under these weird lights that um, – Make me not look tan. Um, <laughs> so, so, all scriptures uh, inspired, God breathed. Okay, so, so here's here's the kicker. Okay, all right, on that one, I just looked up when it says all. Mm-hmm. Guess what it means? All. Yes. All. The, yeah, and the scripture is graphy. It's the writing. It's where we get mm-hmm. yeah. gra- graffiti from. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All the writing, but. In Paul's time, we didn't have the Bible as we know it, which is why the history of the Bible to Mm -hmm. understand that which is written, which when you when you read that word, all writings, all graphy, you you don't assume that that means anything because we Mm -hmm. all know what happens when you assume. Uh, Yes, we do. You. You study what Paul talks about. What writings Mm -hmm. is he talking about? And how did we come to the conclusion of these writings? And we know, if you don't know yourself, you learn from people who have studied it well before Mm -hmm. you, what the scripture is composed of and and why it is such a high standard. In this, when Paul, the time frame that Paul is writing this, Mm -hmm. we we discussed this, uh, I think, let's see, when was that? Uh, It was a few weeks ago. 
Uh, may, no, it was last week. Uh, the Gospels largely had not been written yet. By the time Paul is writing this, they have not been written. Um, so, so when Paul says all Scripture, he's primarily he's, pointing to the Old, Old Testament. Testament. Old Testament, that's right. Which even by this time. Um, some of the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Ruth, um, some other parts of of the Old Testament is still, I don't want to say disputed, mm-hmm. but it's um, the Old Testament comes together in a process too, just as the New Testament does, and that's what we've been talking about in our. Bible study that we're going to put on podcast mm-hmm. is the process by which Scripture came together. And you look at it and you see it's a very human process, but I told them as I started the class, God got into the book what he wanted to get into the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there are parts of the the Bible that when you understand how they got in the scripture, how they got included in the authoritative list, you just go, wow, God, you are so cool. And even books of the Bible that we have right now, Martin Luther and John Wesley did not like the book of James at all. Luther called it a right straw epistle, and and John Wesley just kind of shrugged his shoulders about it because the book of James never mentions the name of Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you go, well, okay. Um, so the story of how Scripture came together is as inspirational as God inspiring the Word, but God breathed the Word, and He used the people writing. He used their heart, their faith, their eyes, their language to inspire this Word. Um, I do not ascribe to the plenary verbal uh, theory of scripture, which is sort of like God taking a kitty cat's tail, dipping it in an inkwell, and God writing the words or taking the apostles' hand and mm-hmm. doing this. No, God laid something on someone's heart right. and let them express it uh, using their faith and their language. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful study. So, y'all can look for that. It's coming. It will be coming. <laughs> But I just wanted to throw that in because all Scripture is inspired and Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Um, You know, this is called the canon, C-A-N-O-N, and the word means rule. What rule do you live by? Mm. Right Right here. here. Um, And then that gets that we all start making that same noise "Mm," because there are a lot of things that I don't do that are in the book. Absolutely. And God forgive me that I don't do the things that are in the book. So. Well, with that, I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are even more questions that you out there listening have regarding this week's reading and maybe what we've talked about a little bit today. So, what do you do with that? You send us an email to askgoingdeeper at gmail.com because that's how you get your questions in our Q&A session. It will be our final Q&A session for this season coming up in just a few weeks because we're really nearing the end of this season of podcasting, our E100 season. It's been a fun ride, hasn't it? Very fun. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I have to admit I like going back and listening uh, 
not strictly to pad the the viewing and listening time. <laughs> but be more views on there. Yeah, but honestly, because you know, it, it's a it's good reminder. It's good information because I feel like what we're doing here is really pulling what's in scripture, the heart of the reading, the heart of what's what's here and trying to express that in a way that it's a little maybe more more easily digested for the layperson, which I include myself in that. Mm-hmm. One day you should do a podcast of us preparing for the podcast. Okay, so it'll be the the podcast about the podcast. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. so they can see <laughs> the discussions we have uh-huh. and... Um, um, and and then we'll have to start prepping for that podcast, and so so then there will be a podcast about, about the podcast about the podcast. It definitely um, verifies our job. Like yeah. if we're supposed to have organizational, mm-hmm. you know, thank you church for paying me because this is a full time gig yeah. mm-hmm. to try to understand the word and teach it to people mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. It is an important job. Yeah. Um, so I'm very lucky and thankful and blessed that mm-hmm. I, I get paid to do it, and I hope that people see value in it because they don't have time to that's, do it on their own all, often, you know? Yeah. And it is it is wonderful and encouraging that um, sometimes I'll walk through and an impromptu Bible study has broken out. And again, it's the staff dealing with how to teach something or how to describe something or help people experience going deeper. Mm-hmm. So everything we do is is bathed in the Word, and um, it's really it's an encouragement and an, uh, it's really fun. Hey, listen when to that. Y'all ask me those questions, I can't answer. It's listen like, to that. The, the The senior pastor is getting encouraged by us. That's fantastic. Uh, true. true. It's really. Yeah. It's it's a great team to serve on. Yeah. Well, it's a whole lot of fun and to serve with. Well, I, I think that kind of brings us to a, a natural conclusion for this week. If you have made it this far, then I would assume that you're subscribed to this. But if you're not you know what to do. Subscribe. If you're on YouTube, click the little notification bell. That way you get notified every Tuesday when one of these episodes comes out. You can also find us on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, all the great places. Reminder to send us your questions to askgoingdeeper at gmail.com. That way we can try to stump Doug and Chris next time in our final Q&A session. (laughs) Stump the preacher. That's right. So with that, I will say thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And we will see y'all again next week.